When it comes to the ideas themselves, creating that safe space where a student can throw out any kind of idea, no matter how wild, and build off of it with another student, um, it's so important for this process because you're, you're giving students permission to go outside the confines of what is right and wrong. Throw out homework, worksheets, ominous buildings, hall passes, herds of students, grades, all of it. What would you build? If you start with the amazing thing that is a young person, how would you honor all of their strengths and abilities? How would you remember that this is about them? If Dewey was right, and education is not preparation for life, education is life itself. We need to do more than rebuild schooling. We need to rethink living. Welcome to the Education is Life podcast, where we are having honest discussions on the state of education, where it is, where it can be, and all of the stories in between. Back to Education is Life. Rob Hughie here. Today, we have Allison James with us. Allison works as the program manager for the Chicago Student Invention Convention, which is truly an amazing event. I had the privilege of being a judge one year and see what these young people, not only what they invent and how creative they are, but what they identify as the problems in their community that they feel a need to solve for was a truly amazing um, and just an amazing event. Uh, There were hundreds, if not thousands of people, great presentation that really honored all the work that the young people put into into their inventions. It was a really amazing stuff. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you for having me. You know, love what you guys do. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the convention? Yeah. So the Chicago Student Invention Convention uh, culminates in that event that um, that you mentioned, but it starts with a curriculum. And so we are um, an, a free academic program and curriculum that uh, teachers can, uh, can be trained in um, to learn invention education and to bring kind of this hands-on project-based student-centered learning to their classrooms. When we don't just work with classrooms, we work with libraries. So Chicago Public Libraries, um, has done our program now for um, for two of its nine years. So they're a rather new partner for us. We also work with youth centers and out-of-school time spaces. And then we, of course, our, our staple uh, stakeholder is the teacher. And so we work with classroom teachers from uh, public, private, and charter schools. And so the program begins and ends with students. So the students are taught how to invent. Um, They're taken through the seven steps of invention where they select a problem that they care about in their life and are empowered to research that problem, to ideate on it, to engage in the engineering and design cycle to build an actual prototype of a solution for that problem. And then they practice a pitch. And uh, throughout the program, they're also uh, engaging with community mentors who help support their learning. Learning, um, and everyone comes to celebrate at our uh, convention, which is like the cool invention version of science fair. But last year, um, just this past program cycle in 2020, we were virtual. And this upcoming year, we are slated to be virtual as well. Um, and from there, the students can go on to the U.S. Nationals competition at the Henry Ford Museum of American Innovation. How many different students, what what types of schools do you target and, and focus the program on? Yeah, so we are really an open call for all K through eight educators. Um, and because of that, we have an awesome mix of all different types of schools and spaces. So you'll have, you know, a private, um, small enrollment uh, school educator next to a public school educator uh, next to a lifelong librarian. So really, um, I think the beauty of the program is that it attracts 
uh, prestigious kind of mindset, like, oh, this is an enrichment opportunity for our students. And also it it provides a point of access for um, students who don't consider themselves STEM oriented. Um, and so because we our crux is problem solving. I feel like that is an open access point for different kinds of schools and learning spaces to come together around, you know, a really accessible way for students to engage with applied STEM. Yeah, some of the stuff I, I saw was really showed kind of the backgrounds with one kid who was using artificial intelligence and a bunch of different sensors to figure out on a conveyor belt of what Legos he had with him at his house. And then he hit the Lego uh, database to figure out like what he could make with it, which I thought was funny from a number of different angles. One, just from a pure tech side, it was really cool. But it's like, if your biggest problem is you don't know what to build with your Legos, I think maybe you could work more on the invention side of uh, creativity. But uh, it was it was truly an amazing feat. Uh, but for him, that was what problem he was interested in solving. And then uh, from a different angle, there was, a, there was a young girl who invented a vending machine for homeless people. Uh, and it was free. I think there was a code that you had to get. So it was a one-time use code. And it had like socks and snacks and food in it. And there was another kid who, uh, he lives in a food desert. And so he came up with the idea of a double-decker bus that the top deck was uh, a garden and the, the lower deck was where they sold all the stuff from. Uh, so it was just, just great to see how engaged they were with their communities and, uh, and wanting to get out there. And funny things, too, like the, the burrito stealer. Uh, yes. or the butter yeah. stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you, you know, Rob, if you're having trouble spreading butter on your toast, uh, because you have fifth grade hands, <laughs> you might need a butter stick, which, you know, has the butter in a glue stick type contraption where you can just roll it up and spread it on quite easily. I like to roll it up. I've seen the ones where you like, it kind of falls down by gravity, but that doesn't work very well after it gets done. So I, mm -hmm. I like that one. The burrito stealer was funny because the alarm that she had hooked up to it was so loud that every time she showed someone, everyone thought the fire alarm was going off. <laughs> I love it. I also love um, in those examples, kind of you see a peek at the the empathy piece at play. Um, one of my favorite stories about you know student empathy is uh, a student who hit the problem he was solving against was his his hiccups he kind of had these uncontrollable hiccups and it was causing him you know embarrassment at school uh he was getting teased about it and so you know he really wanted to create an invention to stop this problem in his life and in the research process he found out that hiccups are actually a side effect of uh, certain chemotherapy treatments for cancer patients and that was not an audience that he had considered obviously at the beginning beginning of his project. But, you know, throughout the course of his invention, he realized that this is a shared experience. Um, and so in building his empathy, his final invention was an apple cider vinegar lollipop, um, a kind of a natural homeopathic remedy for, uh, for quelling hiccups. And he actually went to a hospital downtown uh, at one of the cancer wards. And um, his, his testing and feedback uh, was with other folks who were kind of suffering the same ailment that he was. Um, so that was just a really, really nice uh, 
kind of anecdote about how, you know, this project can start with a student, but then grow that student's understanding of their way, the way they fit in the world, but also their ability to impact the world around them. Yeah, that's a, you know, a big part, as you know, of project-based learning is purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, having that purpose of problem solving and digging into things that really matter. Um, you know, I'm not sure how involved you were with the original curriculum development, um, but like, what is, what was the design process for the curriculum in terms of what types of learning outcomes were you really trying to build into the program? Yeah. So um, we do have the National Invention Convention curriculum at our disposal, but I always say that we have made it Chicago style um, in that we have learning outcomes and uh, and different uh, lesson plans that are really geared towards um, our local audience here in Chicagoland. So first of all, you know, we're working with K through eighth graders. And so having students be able to identify appropriate ways to do research to find information, um, to see what problems have been addressed and in what ways and how they succeeded and how they failed to have a, a kindergartner um, be able to identify some ways to begin that uh, research process um, is definitely a learning outcome for us, especially in this age of you know, disinformation and um, needing increased media literacy. Uh, that is something that we focus on um, so that these ideas that they come up with, they can feel that confidence in them that they truly do have something unique and original. Um, and so tied to that is kind of the idea that the student will be able to feel like an expert in their field. Um, and that comes through most clearly in the pitch uh, where students are able to face a room of adults, you know, in person or virtually and teach them something um, and be the expert on on what they've created. So for me, that's those are probably my two favorite learning outcomes because they really position the learner as uh, the the convener and conveyor of knowledge in, in both aspects. Yeah, I love that convener and conveyor. Uh, it does make me think about carabiners, but I think that's uh, too too much lateral thinking there. Uh, you you matter, right? Your ideas matter. People can help you bring your ideas to life, and that words you are much more in control of your education, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I, I throw this into that piece because I think, you know, education is life is kind of like the concept of the podcast, right? And that education isn't preparation for life. It is what they're living seven hours a day, eight hours a day. Well, in high school, it's like 12 hours a day. Um, and how can we make it more relevant to what their current life is, as well as to what their future life is going to be? And I think you guys do a really great job Thank of that. You. And yeah, I think for me, when I first got involved in the program, everything that I value about um, education and pedagogy and just down to the lesson plan, right? Like for me, a successful lesson plan always has the what is the teacher doing element to it, but then what is the student doing and what is the student engaging with? And so um, I, I really feel like our curriculum speaks to that quite easily, um, as well as maps to standards that, you know, are required in, um, in certain school districts. So I think it's that nice meeting in the middle of, yes, we're NGSS aligned. Yes, we have common core baked in. Yes, we have all these nods to, uh, kind of a more 
structured way of approaching teaching and learning. But then we have this subversive element of putting the student <laughs> centered uh, front and center in our lesson plans. Um, and so it's that nice balance between, you know, getting to getting to the things that we know as educators really matter. Um, and then having that, uh, that structural or that infrastructure, uh, for making sure that it fits into, you know, what we need to cover, um, in any given unit. Yeah. You have to be innovative. Like there, there are so many, I think in the last 15 years, I'll say the amount of amazing educational technology that's been created um, is truly astounding. And 98% of it just ends up on a shelf somewhere and never gets used because they didn't figure out how to meet the entry requirements to get into most school mm -hmm. districts. And so being able to do that matching and tying out to the standards um, makes it so it's like you're allowed to play in right. the game. And uh, and then so you get in and then you can be as subversive as you want. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's choose your own subversion level with our curriculum. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, too, as you were as you're talking, I thought of another element that's unique here to our Chicago curriculum and Chicago land rather, because we work not just only in Chicago, but we also work with um, the collar counties um, and the suburban school districts. Um, and so that piece is the, the audience. And so for me, having an authentic audience to your learning um, is always going to take a student beyond just uh, the, the classroom feeling of, you know, I'm going to learn this until I don't need to know it anymore. And then I'm going to forget it to, you know, this is something that is going to carry with me because I am the person that's uh, orchestrating this type of learning. And I have to tell someone else out there in the real world and that there's real stakes involved in this. Um, and so for us, that comes through mentorship. So we have, um, industry professionals through uh, Chicago Innovation, which is our parent nonprofit um, of the Chicago Student Invention Convention. They have two other programs, uh, Ageless Innovators, which is an intergenerational co-mentoring program for adults, um, and the Women's Mentoring Co-op, which is a um, uh, mentoring program for uh, female innovators, entrepreneurs, and businesswomen. Um, and so from those uh, adult pools of mentors, uh, we connect them with our classroom teachers um, and therefore with our students to help them in the invention process. And so um, it's just this really nice meeting of the minds because the student has then that authentic audience to uh, to report out to on their findings. And then also for the mentors, they have an authentic audience for their own industry jargon, um, which, you know, it's fun to see them say, I really had to think about what I know and how I can explain it to someone else. Um, I feel like I've been on autopilot talking to adults with a bunch of buzzwords. And all of a sudden I have to really think about what it is that I'm trying to communicate. So uh, it, it goes both ways <laughs> in the program. A lot of people are like, well, how do you find these experts and stuff? But for us, it's, you know, when you ask an adult who's like really passionate about what they're doing and say, Hey, we've got a couple of kids who are really interested in what you do. Do you think you can have some time to talk with them? They're like, kids are interested in what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, of course I want to talk to them. And uh, some of our most, we have a, our business fair is coming up. We'll, we'll talk about that. One of the businesses to a uh, 
I think their fourth graders want to do is make soaps, handmade soaps. Uh, there's this great guy who um, I think is d- distinct bath and body in Chicago up in Milwaukee. And he was a UPS driver for 20 years and he stopped and started his own soap mm-hmm. shop. And so, you know, talk to him and getting him tied out and he gets super excited to be able to have these kids who get super excited. I think the more that, you know, this is our approach, not necessarily yours, or maybe for some some of your teachers it is, you know, the less the guide is the person or the teacher is the person in front of the students who is kind of the arbiter of what is good and what is not good, uh, the more lo- the learning deepens and broadens and the more you're developing the person rather than a skill of how do I get my gold mm-hmm. star. So bringing in those outside people and giving the authentic audience um, is a, is a big piece because it's not like, Oh, I got to be, or it's what it's like, Oh, you mean I have to stand up in front of people and tell them my idea and what I made and what my process was and answer their questions. Like, Whoa, okay. Like I need to, I need to be ready right, for that. Right. Exactly. And I think too, it, it removes some barriers for students who think of, um, who think of a lot of this and put it in the category of, I can't do it. So, you know, pre predisposed to thinking I can't do STEM or I'm not good at math or I'm not good or don't like public speaking. And it kind of turns all of those concepts on, on their head because, you know, we, we never identify, uh, the the points in the lesson as these things, even though that's what they are. But instead, it's this idea of, you know, can you share with this person what you're learning? Or can you share with this person uh, what you're building here? Um, if you can see the physical change come over a student, uh, rather than saying, can you give a public speech presentation <laughs> tomorrow? Um, which, you know, you see them change then too into kind of a ball of anxiety. Um, but when you're asking them to report out in the way that we do with our pitch uh, this year with virtual uh, pitch presentations. But yeah, you can just see them switch from, you know, student mode to expert mode. And it's physical. They straighten up, you know, their eyes glimmer. They have this sound to their voice that they didn't even a sentence ago. Um, and so for, for me, that's super rewarding because they've really taken ownership over not just this project, but now they know that they can, they have this in them going forward. Yeah, at Greenfields, you know, we do a lot of project-based learning and work a lot on the social-emotional stuff. And for older kids who transfer into our program, you know, they come for any number of reasons, but there's this kind of concern. Um, Well, some of them just, they didn't have a great run, and so they feel bad. Um, They don't have the confidence in themselves and the way they walk, kind of like slope shoulders and head down, you know, after a couple sessions of, you know, being presented with real problems and learning that they can do them and that they can do these things. And we don't call them reading and writing and math and like, no, you need to do your pitch. You got to get ready for this. This is how it's going to happen. You can see the physical change and how they carry themselves. And uh, it's just the ability for the types of things that you're putting out to have a transformative experience on these uh, young people, I think is, you know, it's one of the things that makes me really enjoy what I do. And one of the things that really drew me to, um, to the invention convention. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of alignment in, in those philosophies. And also um, when you were speaking, I was thinking a little bit too about, uh, not calling things uh, by by their name, right? So not calling it reading, not calling it writing. And so even within our curriculum, 
there is a level of interdisciplinarity that is baked in as well. Um, and so, you know, we are, we're having students read stories about famous inventors um, and talk about who can be an inventor. Um, so in there you have that social emotional component and you also have a little bit of ELA uh, sneaking in there. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate um, that ability in our program to kind of be amorphous and uh, really engage directly with applied STEM activities, but then also have the flexibility to bring in, let's say, you know, computer science. If, if a student is interested in uh, learning a bit about coding and how they can make an app uh, as their invention um, or bringing in sustainability and the environment, um, a lot of students, I would say, you know, that's one of our most popular topics for students is, well, that and pets, of course, <laughs> but, but, you know, environmental issues really draw them, uh, to learn more. Um, so yeah, I think the interdisciplinarity of something that is seen traditionally as a, a straight STEM uh, program is is really delightful to me um, and something that I really value about our program. So um, how did you end up getting into this type of thing? I love the way you think about the, the pedagogy. Um, and now I'm wanting to have a conversation about pedagogy and andragogy, but we won't. Um, <laughs> You know, what was your education like growing up? Yeah, growing up, um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago in Downers Grove. Um, I had really great educational opportunities that I didn't know how great they were until looking back and reflecting as an adult, uh, studying education, of course, and thinking about all the ways that I was given the opportunity to um, to experience a lot of these best practices. Um, but at the same time, I feel like my own education was not very experiential. So while I had a lot of, uh, you know, direct experience growing up with some, some best practices, I feel like maybe the, the best practices shifted over the past <laughs> 25 years or so. And therefore now there's this focus on experiential learning uh, as, as just a very basic example, internships. Um, so my, my professional background prior to coming to this job was in uh, higher ed and academia. And so I was working with college age students and I was always talking to them about internships and their benefits and kind of uh, the way that they could help a student really focus on what was important to them, not not only in this class that they're in, that they're trying to pass, but kind of how they can harness that knowledge and take it forward with them in their life. And I certainly did not have any conversations like that growing up. Uh, so just thinking about how experience has really come to the forefront um, for those paying attention uh, in any kind of uh, valuable educational experience right now. Um, that's very new for me. And then also thinking about how we can continue that energy in these days. So COVID has changed a lot. And this virtual learning environment that we're in has certainly, um, in a way, maybe taken us back a bit as far as like being in a room together and hands-on activities. Um, but I do think there's a lot of hope in uh, moving forward and continuing the momentum of experiential learning, but we just have to be really intentional about it at this time. It'll be interesting to see if more of the inventions you get this year are around things around the home, um, just because that's like where people have just been hunkered down so much time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we added a new award category this year for best use of repurposed materials, kind of a repurposed or DIY sentiment. So yeah, we're anticipating that. And I also wonder how many students will have problems posed related to COVID. Um Something interesting is that in our program, we always allowed students to invent a product or a physical item, but then also we had them invent a process. And so I think your example of the garden bus driving around the community is a good example of that. Um, But not a lot of students went that route. And so I wonder this year, too, if we'll see more inventions related to thinking differently, doing things in a different way, because we've all been asked to do that so much in the past few months. Interesting. So many people have been talking about the equity challenges now with people at home. I think it's one of the things that we all work with. And I, I saw some of it at the invention convention when I was there, like it was obvious, like these two schools had a room of 3d printers and everybody just wanted to make something on the 3d printer, regardless of how good it was. Right. And then a, a couple of kids, this one kid tried to make out of cardboard, a newspaper gun. So he wouldn't have to get off his bike to uh, deliver papers. Uh, and uh, complaining about like, hey, my school, all we had was some wire and some cardboard. Um, And now it's like, now you're at home and there's still some equity challenges, but most people don't have a laser uh, cutter or a 3D printer or those types of other pieces at home. So now it's going to be interesting to see what ideas everybody comes up with together. I'm excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, luckily for us, that won't be so much of a shift due to the fact that our rubric before did emphasize process as much as product. So regardless of if it was, you know, everyone lining up for the 3D printer day or if it was cardboard prototype day, um, that the rubric always reflected uh, the invention log. So having uh, a student inventor document every stage of their process, every failure, um, being able to talk about how they shifted their ideas based on the feedback they were getting or the roadblocks they ran into, that has always been kind of the bread and butter of the program. And so I do think that uh, it's made this transition a little bit easier because students were already hardwired to think about themselves in terms of like uh, being an inventor and going through some of the messiness of that, as well as producing a product. Um, The products just might look a little different this year. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you go about having to rethink something that is such a big hands-on thing done in a group with the feedback uh, and make that into a virtual piece? What was your process on that? Yeah, it was luckily a collaborative process. Um, I really do value being part of the national network of invention education uh, minded folks. So uh, that's Invention Convention Worldwide's 35 state affiliates. Uh, we, We met regularly and kind of discussed Um, what it was looking like in each of our states. And through collective groupthink, we came up with some great ideas for translating experiential learning. Um, Many of them involve uh, kind of being flexible with standardized materials and rethinking the way that students can collaborate long distance. So as an example, one of our core activities is um, a design and build activity where students are asked to contain a nuclear spill, meaning marbles. <laughs> There's marbles everywhere. Uh, they're dangerous. You can't go buy them, but you need to clean it up. So how do you do that from three feet away? And so students in, uh, in a physical classroom were given uh, a standard 
standard set of materials, including, you know, a pipe cleaner, rulers, uh, rubber bands, toothpicks, all of the, the fun favorites for building in classrooms. And they were asked to create an invention that can contain this spill um, in the safest place possible, a red solo cup from three feet away. Uh, and so, you know, obviously what we lose is the ability to have the standardized materials, but um, being able to use whatever is around the house and think of it categorically. So how many items of connecting do you need? Is it a rubber band? Is it tape? Is it uh, paper clips? Uh, is it a hair band? You know, just kind of giving students the option to collect in these categories, um, running the activities together, or perhaps having them run them on their own and take videos or take photos or report back and having that asynchronous learning. Um, but then, of course, the most important component is as students are building together, usually they're laughing, they're messing up, they're uh, talking out loud about their ideas of maybe this, you know, is too heavy to hold it or maybe it's not going to reach that long. Maybe it'll break. Um, and so getting students to have those touch points with each other, uh, in, whether it's in breakout rooms or kind of uh, letters to each other back and forth through their invention log of kind of um, mimicking that experience of inventing together. So uh, it's it's definitely in the testing phase. We are looking for a lot of teacher feedback from our teachers this year as they're running this. Um, but we're hoping that we've identified the pieces that make it special and make it effective and um, can still translate that experience through the program this year. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's definitely interesting. It's a it's kind of a rapid iteration is what we've been needing to do too. And, you know, as you know, we've got the Chicago Children's Business Fair as one of our kind of big community events coming up. And last year, I think we had around 80 uh, young people who were vendors and we had about seven, 800 people who came through in like a three hour period. And, um, it's really a, a fun event too, in a, you know, similar yet different way than the invention convention. Um, but the authentic audience, uh, mentors along the way, uh, putting yourself out there, needing to have a pitch, uh, and for a, a real audience that is going to, or not going to give you real dollars for the stuff that you did. And, uh, so moving that to online this year, because it would have been an easy year to, to punt, right? Where it's like, uh, it just doesn't work. How are we going to do it? Um, so we've really had to rethink what that looks like, find a good platform. Uh, and, and now in a relatively short period of time, get all of these people, all these young people up and, and ready for it. So we've gone to a three-day format instead of a three-hour format. And uh, it's, a, it's definitely been a challenge. And I, we're putting in a lot of work to make it a great experience, but uh, that kind of rapid iteration, feedback, everybody needing to be uh, agile and being able to to change with whatever uh, hiccups come has been a, a big part. So, uh, what so what is your final exhibition piece look like? Uh, you're not obviously not doing the convention part um, in person. Is uh, you doing something synchronous, or how's that going to look? Well, that's a really great question. <laughs> so, so first of all, I'm excited to be involved in the, the Children's Business Fair again this year. Um, I'm already signed up as a judge, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing all of the, the student businesses. Um, and while I will miss sampling the food this year, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Um, and then to your latter question, it's we're still ideating, I think, 
what, so I'll just share what we did last year. Last year was our quick pivot. Um, and so similar to you, like the easier route would have been to say like, oh, I guess the program's over. Um, but there were so many programs doing that last year uh, in March and April uh, that students, you know, they had been working on things all, all uh, school year and to have nothing come to fruition um, was just kind of heartbreaking. And so we did continue our program virtually last year after a quick pivot. Um, and our convention in 2020 was in many ways uh, very successful in, in surprising ways. So we had uh, more judges involved than we had ever had before. We had um, special guests beaming in from all over the country to give messages of encouragement to the students. Um, and we actually got to see their inventions, all of us, um, uh, kind of in a in a highlighted spotlighted way, whereas before in the convention hall, you're milling about, you're seeing some, but maybe you miss some. Um, so it was really nice to kind of see all of all of the entrance in that way. Um, so that was a asynchronous event for the most part, because our judges were reviewing the invention videos. Uh, they were live together in rooms chatting about them and kind of giving feedback in the same way that they would at the convention. Um, but the, the main difference was that the students were not there to receive that feedback live. So they did receive it later um, in the form of a fridge-worthy certificate <laughs> for all of their invention feedback. Um, this year, I think we may do something similar, um, but perhaps having students involved in a live component so that they can have that experience of um, receiving all of the praise and eyes on them that they would receive uh, at the convention. So we're still we're still open to uh, suggestions and changes, um, but we're, we're largely going to build off what we did this past cycle and hopefully get the students involved a little bit more um, uh, on their end to kind of see the the fruits of their labor live. Yeah, we had uh, some of the same pieces where it'd be easy to put up like a, a a Wix website for each business and, you know, a big long page of links or something or icons for them to be able to go to. But it, it missed out, in our opinion, in so much of the learning that happens is that kind of live feedback and putting yourself out there and, you know, talking to strangers and seeing, a, you know, mm -hmm. convincing them that your idea is good and seeing what that feels like in a, in a real way. And so we went searching for how we could do it in a more synchronous piece. And we found a, we found a pretty cool tool who maybe they should be sponsoring us today, but, um, uh, <laughs> hopin.to. So hop into, um, yeah, yeah. That's something that we're looking into as well. Um, yeah, Zoom, like all of it, I think, um, I think there's potential there, but I'm excited to see, I'm going to have like many hats on that yep. day at the children's <laughs> business fair to see, um, how it works out because, um, a component you're having vendors, obviously, and a component of our convention is we invite, uh, all of our community partners and, you know, fun STEM activities, uh, and nonprofits to have, uh, exhibition booths as well. So that, you know, when you're waiting around, you're not just waiting, you're building a slime machine, <laughs> And so having that space to highlight our vendors too is, is going to be critical as well. So, uh, I will be there with my, with my different program manager hat for a little bit when I'm attending the business fair as well. Yeah, we're, Maybe they should be sponsoring both of us. Right? We should contact them. <laughs> uh, the, um, 
Yeah, we're going there. Let me just give me plugs all over the place now. Uh, uh, <laughs> Chicago's Hidden Gems High School Fair is soon and uh they're using the platform too so i'm going to be you know we're presenting at that but i'm also just going to be there to see how they're using it and then there's another children's business fair because we are part of a big worldwide network who does these things similar to you where you know there's some materials available but you don't have to use them um and uh there's one going on like two weeks before we do ours. And so just like, how does it work? What ideas and like learning from other people's wins and other people's mistakes. I, I think is a really important piece of, you know, if you, if you can learn from someone else's failures rather than your own, you get to accelerate your learning. Right. Well, I agree, but I hope that that's not the case with your event. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And we're, we're taking the, so our expo area is all of the young people vendors. And so those are going to be amazing. People are starting to get in their ideas right now. Um, and then we also have sponsors and there's also a live stage. And so, you know, at a time when so many enrichment type educators are really struggling uh, because they're basically there's no after school programming going on in the city. Uh, finding a way for the people who have pivoted to be able to deliver something virtually. We're giving them opportunities throughout the weekend to showcase what they do and come on. Hey, look what I'm doing. Come be part of my my show, my presentation. And uh, so that kind of uplift the whole community and show, you know, a big part that we wanted to show people, because I don't know about you, Allison, but for me, like I got stuck in the survival mode for like five months and mm -hmm. it just gets exhausting after a while. And and I really want to push everybody to like, how can we figure out how to thrive in this environment? And like, you don't have to ignore what's going on. You can be sad and troubled with, you know, where things are in the world, but at the same time, you can also be thriving. And so showing people that, Hey, there are ways to do stuff. We need to start looking for things that we can do, not just focus on the things that we can't do. And that's one of the messages I really want to get across to the young people who are involved and, uh, and to all the people who come and see what's going on. I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty amazing event. I'm very excited for it. And I, I already get that energy from it. And indeed, that's that's where we're headed with our program as well. It's almost like we are forced to practice what we preach. And so all of those skills that our students have been learning as inventors over the years um, have come to bear on our program for sure. And I think a space where we can thrive is a space where, where we do feel like we have that community. And so there are definitely challenges. The digital divide is not going away. Um, and so that is something that is going to continue to provide uh, barriers to, to entry um, and, and equity. Um, but I do think that teachers and our program in particular is more supported going into this virtual school year than we were in March of 2020, when when schools were closing and teachers and, and everyone was, as you said, in that survival mode. So looking at the challenges ahead of us and being intentional about um, trying to plug in community when and how we can, uh, I think is going to be critical for us. And so, you know, my favorite thing being the authentic audience, the silver lining in all of this for me has been expanding that authentic audience. And so much like you bringing in your community members and highlighting those who are um, able to do virtual programming. I think 
for us, yeah, same thing. It's going to be very much um, identifying, you know, who are the mentors for our students, who are the eyes on their inventions, and that actually those eyes could be all over the nation. <laughs> they could be all over the world now that we're virtual. So I think that's really an exciting component um, that we hope to to bring to the synchronous part of our convention this year. Yeah, it definitely opens up all kinds of things. You know, I, I said last year at the business fair, we had seven, 800 people come through. Um, this year, people are asking, well, how many people do you think are going to participate? And I'm like, somewhere between 200 and 2000. Um, yep. You know, I, I just don't know. I, and I think the opportunity is really interesting. We found one of the challenges is it's a bit uh, intangible and amorphous for people to get their head around what the event's actually going to look like. So we're making some little funny videos to give them a sense of, Hey, this is what's going to be happening because you do get to be synchronous with the vendors in their booths. So each, uh, mm -hmm. each young person's, you know, booth will have, uh, they'll be in it live. Uh, they can have up to 10 people live with them sharing audio and video. And then I can't remember. It's a big number though. Hundreds, if not thousands can also be in there via chat and just watching. So they get their chance to be in there, give their pitch, interact in a very similar way. And then the link to their website where they'll be selling stuff will be just to their right on the screen. And so uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting experience and, uh, you know, want to make sure that everyone gets a great great experience out of it for, you know, we talk about failure and safe failure and all that stuff too. We'll definitely have some businesses that aren't great. Uh, that's just the learning and how it goes. This is something we put on every year and to watch the growth of each, each young person, each year, how they push themselves in new ways, how they build off of what they did the prior year. And this year too, is something I've always wanted to do is how could you keep your business going beyond the weekend of the business fair? And so if you've mm -hmm. already got a website up that's uh, able to sell, um, you can take over the fulfillment side and, uh, and keep running with it. Um, I really like to see, see that happen. Uh, and, and like where, what new branches can happen with the new medium. So instead of trying to recreate mm -hmm. what happened on ground online, how can we take advantage of being online to, to spread things? This is the beauty of having a peer program, like <laughs> the Chicago business fair and the Chicago student invention convention. Cause I feel like we run parallel in so many of, of our ideas and, and opportunities for students. So, um, I think for us, you know, a student is, uh, a problem solver. And so always, if you have any businesses that solve problems, of course, they're, um, they're definitely welcome to, to be in our competition as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, the, the idea that you're extending the learning, um, is definitely something that we're looking at too. Um, last year we dabbled in it, uh, in the form of our patent award. And so that idea that, you know, this, while you've created something all year and you've had this culminating event and it's been really awesome, um, the learning does not have to stop there. And so with the patent award, we're moving into the space of having not only uh, these inventions viewed by the public, but also brought into the public. Uh, so the winner of the patent award received uh, free provisional patent services wow. from um, one of our law firms that we work with, Thompson Coburn LLP. And uh, this year we're expanding the number of awards, the patent awards that we're giving out. Um, so there's just this element of 
you know, a real patentable invention uh, came out of our convention last year. And, and we hope to continue that trend um, into the world of manufacturing and then later commercialization. Um, one of our awards this year is the Molex Technology and Transformation Award. And so the winner of that award will have the opportunity to continue working on their invention with Molex, who produces tons of inventions and innovations uh, as a business. So yes, I am so excited to see, you know, businesses and inventions continue to spawn in the real space beyond the classroom because I feel like people expect, expect this to be a high school program. And yet here we are, both of us working with younger students, um, and just stretching the bounds of, of what people are expecting this, uh, audience to be. Yeah. No, the cuteness factor of the, you know, six, seven year olds is very high, but the creative, yes. the creative side is also just ridiculous. The, the things they think yep. of, the ideas they come up with. Um, and most programs don't value what it is that, what their ideas are, right? They're supposed to be vessels to take in all this information and develop, but they have the like most unique and crazy ideas. And the challenge I always give to our guides is like, how can we be a yes and culture, you know, where it's like when they come up with some crazy idea, I want us to be able to say yes and help them figure out how to bring that to fruition. Because I think those are where those transformative experiences come from and where you feel not, not just feel empowered, but you are empowered. You, you know, you have that power to do amazing things. And that just informs you all the way down the road. Yes. And (laughs) I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I know you guys have a different, um, uh, structure for for grading or or lack of grading, and I think for a school that's on a more traditional grading system, um, you can you can grade uh, ideation and kind of these wild and crazy ideas not by their value, but for participation or for meeting you know certain uh, benchmarks and how how many ideas can you generate. So there are ways to uh, create you know, gradable activities or things that are working towards something in your classroom, uh, with ideation. But I think when it comes to the ideas themselves, creating that safe space where a student can throw out any kind of idea, no matter how wild and build off of it with another student. Um, it's so important for this process because you're, you're giving students permission to go outside the confines of what is right and wrong. You know, every other day of the week, they have the little red X on their paper that says, no, I'm sorry, you didn't get this answer correct. This is the correct answer. And so this is really a chance for them to encounter a space where, you know, they're creating the right answers and each addition and each yes and moment is another right answer, which is just so rewarding to see uh, a student experience. Yeah. And that, that kind of focus on process and, you know, we're, we're a very, um, adaptable. We always feel like we can do better. So we're always trying new things. And sometimes they're just horrible failures. And, uh, <laughs> but we do it fast, right? And uh, the kids are <laughs> the first ones to say like, hey, Rob, this is not working. Like, I think, <laughs> all right, come on, tell me what ideas do you have? How can we make this better? Um, so it's a kind of that co-creation of what, what happens. And, uh, you know, one time we just over-papered a project so bad where it all got about, uh, what we thought the process should be like worksheet by worksheet type thing. And it just, it mm-hmm. just destroyed all the creativity coming out of what was going <laughs> on. So it's a little bit of that least restrictive environment. Um, but I think to, you know, you talked about in the beginning, you know, mapping to the, the common core and those types of things. 
if you are in a program that in, in the school that requires grades, there are ways to make this work within that confine. Yes. And the flexibility to, to make the program what you need it to be. Yes. If you are in a more um, regimented space, yeah, there's supports for that, but it, it never at the expense of the creativity. I feel like that is is the most valuable thing is that no matter what context, how many weeks you can devote, how much in-class time versus out-of-class time, uh, how many interested students, you know, these are all the X factors, but no matter what, you're going to have that platform for creativity for students, uh, safe spaces to fail and feedback um, and that real world authentic audience. Those are those are just coming along for the ride, no matter what the situation is. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be part of a program like this and um, grateful for the opportunity to come on today and and get the word out among what I know to be very uh, innovative and creative educators that you have in your network space. And so if they want to get involved, what's the best way to, for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. So um, we have our website, which is chicagoinnovation.com. And if you want to go directly to us, it's chicagoinnovation.com slash invention convention. We are making a new website. So very soon it will look different. So whether you check it out today or in a few weeks, same content, maybe different face. Yeah, that's great. And if uh, you're interested in getting involved in the Chicago Children's Business Fair, uh, you can also go to greenfieldsacademy.com and you can get there or you can go directly to chicagochildrensbusinessfair.com, which is a lot of typing, but you'll get there. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, super excited for the fair coming up. So excited you offered to be a judge again and look forward to seeing how our project comes out uh, virtually as well as yours. I think uh, there is a lot of great learning to be had from both. And, you know, we definitely have uh, some of our students who are excited to get involved in the invention convention again this year. And so I think this is great stuff. I really appreciate how much you have put in to making this happen and making it happen regardless of what external pressures and challenges there, there are still amazing things we can do. And we really owe it to our young people to to show them that path. And right back at you. I am so grateful to have um, Greenfields and the Chicago Business Fair as a partner and collaborator. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, as you said, see the outcomes this year. And while it's going to look very different from probably both of us were envisioning when we met at the Children's Business Fair last year, um, I think it's going to just be an opportunity for young people to to share out to potentially a bigger audience than they would have before. Every user, we don't even know how many folks are sitting around at home. Is it mom, dad, grandma, and an aunt? You know, each each logged in person could be representing a whole family that gets to go to the event this year. Um, so yeah, so I'm just very excited to to continue on this path forward and uh, you know con- continue communicating and collaborating with our our valued partners like like Greenfield. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for coming on today. And uh, for everybody else, thanks for joining us. Uh, Please join us next time for the next episode of Education is Life. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and tune in next time for a fresh new episode of Education is Life.